morning. Welcome to the house of the Lord. And if you're listening online, good morning to you also. We are in the gospel according to Mark, chapter 3. And if you have your Bibles, we will, in a moment, stand and take verses 20 through 35. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Beginning in verse 20, Mark chapter 3. Then the multitudes came together again so that they could not so much as eat bread. But when his own people heard about this, they went out to lay hold of him, for they said, He is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, He has Beelzebub. And by the ruler of the demons, he cast out demons. So he called them to himself and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand but has an end. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. And then he will plunder his house. Assuredly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the sons of men. Whatever blasphemies they may utter, but he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation, because they said he has an unclean spirit. Then his brothers and his mother came, and standing outside, sent to him, calling him. And a multitude was sitting around him. They said to him, Look, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. But he answered them, saying, Who is my mother and my brothers? And he looked around in a circle at those who sat about him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and mother. Please be seated. Insane accusations. That's the title of this morning's consideration. And we have a lot to cover, so I want to get right to it, looking at verse 20 again. Then the multitudes came together again so that they could not so much as eat bread. Well, when Jesus ministered, the crowd was always there, it seems, always demanding attention. So many sick people, so many lepers and demoniacs about him all the time, it appeared. Not, it wasn't, he got, did get some break time to time, but... So often there were the multitudes, and he couldn't even eat in peace, Mark tells us here in verse 20. Add to the multitudes, on this particular day, his friends, his family, and his foes will make accusations about him that are actually insane accusations when you look at the evidences, the proofs, the things surrounding his life. His family and friends, they meant well, but they called him crazy. Let me get to the reason for that in one moment. The foes, of course, the rabbinical authorities of his day, they meant harm when they called him one of Satan's people. And that's what they did say. He was a partner with hell. Why? Why were they ganging up on him? Where was the proof to make any of these accusations? How can you say such things? To someone especially like Christ, healing people and preaching the good news of the kingdom, how could you say such unfounded things? In fact, these proofs demanded a verdict, and the verdict is this. God's anointed, the Son of God, Messiah, The people began to see it that way at this point in time. That set off the religious leaders, the dudes from Jerusalem. Look at verse 21 with me, please. But when his own people heard, they went out to lay hold of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. Now, in the Greek, his own people, can it's broad in its meaning. It can include friends, and it can, it can also mean family. And it is friends and family. We'll get to that in verse 31. In fact, I'll reference it before we get there. But uh, when his own people heard, heard what? What did they hear that made them say he's out of his mind? 
Was it that he missed a few meals in ministry? Well, that might have been the straw that they used to break the camel's back, but I don't think that was it at all. Consider his declarations in defiance of the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees and the lawyers and all the others. Mark chapter 2, verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic son, your sins are forgiven you. That's a pretty big word to come from a Jew in ancient Israel. Because to forgive someone's sins, you have to yourself be sinless. You cannot make someone clean if you yourself are not clean. What a radical statement. Not long after that, we read the the rabbis, they plotted to kill him after that. That's how intense this was. We kind of miss it because, you know, we're just reading the story. But to be there, to feel it. For 30 years, he restrained himself. For 30 years growing up, he held back large plots of his deity and his glory. Now he was letting some of it go. They weren't ready for it. He's going to make them ready for it. They'll thank him later. Most of the good ones, of the good ones would, all of them, but not so much the bad ones. They went out to lay hold of him, for they said he is out of his mind. The family wanted to stop him. Yeah, the good intentions, you know, he's going to upset the religious intelligentsia. They're going to come down on him. We better rescue him from himself. Well, back up those charges with, with something, though. Don't just come out to say he's crazy and you've got nothing but uh, the accusation. That is insane. Uh, these, they don't mean harm. Well, we see this happen today. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but uh, he backed up his claims with wonders. When he said, son, your sins are forgiven, the person was healed. And so were countless multitudes of others impacted by his healing and his touch. Mark alerts us in the 31st verse that they set out to get him here in verse 21. Again, but when his own people heard, they went out to lay hold of him. But they're not there yet. They're on their way. We get to verse 31, they will have arrived. And he indicates that. But while they're on their way, other things are taking place here with the multitudes around him. Again, they meant well, but they are profoundly wrong and out of bounds with this. Now, I'm not turning on them, but we've got to call it like it is. Here he is busy doing what no one else could do, what no one had ever done before. And he did it tirelessly. He sacrificed meals to get the job done. And for this, accused of insanity. Again, an insane accusation. His own family, his own friends, could not tell the difference between ministry and madness. Why? Well, I got to be too hard on them again. Because we're 2,000 years later standing here looking back at the events. But the facts speak for themselves. Matthew adds this about this very moment in time when Jesus cast out a demon, which is what brought the following charges against him. Matthew chapter 12, verse 22, which is a parallel account of this event. Then one was brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind and mute. That's a lot. And he healed him. So that the blind and the mute man both spoke and saw. And all the multitudes were amazed and said, Could this be the son of David? In other words, is this the Messiah? Now when the Pharisees heard it, Matthew 12, verse 24, they said, This fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. Are you kidding me? That's insane. This accusation. The man is blind. He's a mute. He's demon-possessed. And just like that, he's made whole. And the people said, we have not seen anything like this. This must be Messiah. Could there be any other explanation for this? And the Pharisees heard that, and they would have none of it. 
Again, the Jerusalem dudes did not care for the comments of the multitudes, and they took two measures that would stop this. In verse 22, and the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, He has Beelzebub, and by the ruler of demons he cast out demons. Well, we know what set it off. We just read it from Matthew's gospel. Mark left it out for whatever reasons, but we have it. These were the super-duper smart spiritual ones. They came down from Jerusalem to check him out. So how could they be wrong about anything? They were the custodians of approval or disapproval. These boys were mean, they were petty, they were determined, and they were deadly. And here they are to silence the evidences and the support. Facts meant nothing to them. They majored in minutiae. They majored in the minors. They gagged on gnats and swallowed camels whole, Jesus said. They missed the point, routinely missing the point. We're supposed to look at this in Christians and say, let me learn not to do some of these things, all of the bad things. He was not the product of their schools. And so they would not accept him. There was more to it than that. But he loved them. Even though they loathed him, he still loved them. But that love would run out. They had one lifetime to get it fixed. And that's a long time. He has Beelzebub, they say, said. That's the Greek form of Baalzebub. You know Baal, if you know anything about the Old Testament. They could not conceive of a greater sin to hurl at him. This was like the nuclear verbal option that they exercised here. The Canaanite God considered the chief among evil spirits by the Jews. The Canaanites worshipped Baal, but the Jews, and initially, uh, the Baal meant the Lord. And so you have it in proper context from time to time in the Old Testament. But uh, also in context of Canaanite worship, you have it as, of course, this uh, pagan deity. Jesus identifies him with Satan. He, got, he knew what they were charging him with. And that's why he's going to, in a minute, say, how can Satan, Satan cast out Satan? Originally, the name Baal is believed to mean the Lord of, of the high places, the lofty one. And the Jews, rightly so, considered Baal an unworthy rival to Yahweh, there's no way that they would ever accept him. So they knew this was a demonic creation. Baal was revised amongst the Jews from the Lord Baal to the Lord of the Flies, Baal-zebub. Some say that because the pagan temples were loaded with flies, they didn't keep the place clean as opposed, as opposed to the Jewish temple where you couldn't find flies because those Levites were so on top of things. Baal, the Lord, Zebub, flies. Later, other Jews they increased the, <laughs> the commentary on this fake God. And instead of Zebub, they said Zebul, that is the Lord of Dong. That's what they weren't playing. They wanted you to know what they thought about Baal. So here you have these men saying this to Jesus. All of the vitriol that belonged to this. All of the hatred behind it. He's healing people. He's a devil. He's got a devil. You could see their fangs ticking out when they sneered at him. And so accusing him of being in cahoots with the God of filth. That continues there in verse 22. And by the ruler of the demons, he cast out demons. And so they're accusing him of being a shaman, a voodoo worker, a witch doctor. Pick another title if you'd like, but that's the accusation they are putting on him. They could not control him, so they would not accept him. They could not stop him yet, but they were planning on ways to do just that. But they refused to submit to him because that would mean they would have to recognize that he is Messiah. And then that would mean they would have to conform and submit to his authority. And they were not going to do that. So they slandered him publicly, refusing to accept 
that he was from God and saying that he was from hell. People still do these kind of things. Serious thing to charge someone with blasphemy. Serious thing to charge somebody with insanity. Especially if you got nothing. They had nothing. Both of them. Family and friends and and these foes of of his. And so... Uh, they expected the people to abandon him when they made this charge. When they heard the people say, could this be the son of David? Uh, 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 No way. This is from hell. This is not from heaven. How dare you associate this man? That's what they were hoping uh, the effect would be. And the people would go, oh, okay, thank you, old spiritual dudes from Jerusalem. Verse 23, so he called them to himself and said to them in parables... How can Satan cast out Satan? (laughs) Matthew tells us when he says he called them, he means the guys that were charging him, the men from Jerusalem. He said, so it's it's more when he says, uh, so he called to them, them to himself and said in parables. Parables are word pictures. They uh, they don't fade. You know, words, you can kind of lose the meaning, but a picture, you 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 more apt to keep that. It is. a truth in story format, and it is very effective. We tell our children stories. We tell each other stories. Hopefully they're true or good stories. But where he says, how can Satan cast out Satan? He is saying this. That doesn't make any sense. That's what he's saying to them. Satan is casting out Satan. <laughs> oh, that's dumb. And that's his reply. Verse 24, he continues. Now, he, he not only does he say that doesn't make any sense, he says here's why it does not make any sense. He says if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. Fighting itself <clears throat> into collapse, implosion. Verse 25, and if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. Yeah, what house stands when husband and wife are enemies? What house can stand if brother and sister are at each other's throat? I know the little ones can do that, but I mean they're on a serious level, on another level, a level of total destruction. When strife rules, peace and love and truth run and hide in a cave somewhere, can't be found. So it makes perfect sense when he says, how can a house divided like this stand? How could I possibly be from hell casting out hell? That would be shooting myself in the foot. Verse 26. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but has an end. He knew more about Satan than anybody. He knew more about Satan than Satan knew. And to have somebody throw up in his face something like this. The insults he had to endure. He had to put up with this. And so when Christ says to us, endure hardship. He left us an example. Paul followed that example. Paul wasn't the only one. The apostles weren't the only ones. Christians have been following this example ever since. Sin is a divisive force in the universe. Sin is a force in the universe just like gravity is a force in the universe. And Satan knows how to make full use of sin. And he's using it right here. And he's using it on the accusers. Verse 27, he says, No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds a strong man. And then he will plunder his house. When Jesus cast out the demon just a few moments ago, he was throwing out the strong man. He's the stronger man coming into the house, plundering the goods, and emancipating a life. And for this, he is charged with being demonic. He says, unless he first binds a strong man, which they just saw. You would think they would go, you know who you got? You're making some good points. Maybe we had it wrong. No, they are buckling down. They are doubling up. Their opposition. And for this reason, he will say, when you behave like this, there is no way you can be forgiven for this. Are you supposed to be led into heaven behaving like this? Because your character is formed in this life. You'll go into heaven doing the same thing, and God will have none of that. And that's where his great charge against them is going to come from in a moment. 
unless he first binds a strong man. We're powerless against Satan. He's too strong for us. We have to have God work through us to do it or God do it directly. That's what happened to the disciples in Matthew 19. They tried to cast out the demon and they could not. And Jesus comes down. He sees the Pharisees talking to the apostles. What are you talking about? He gets right in their face. He's not going to let those boys get hold of his boys. And the apostles, uh, they were bothered by this because Jesus then comes down, cast out the demon, and then later they come to the Lord and they say, why could we not cast him out? How many times have we said that? Prayer binds a strong man. That is one of our primary weapons. And I believe prayer works more than what we believe it, what we may think it does, because there are so many unseen victories. And we tend to focus on the ones that won't go away the hardships that remain, whatever they may be. And Christ says, you just keep enduring. That's what I need you to do. And we're saying, but I'm sick of enduring. He says, well, you don't really have a choice. That's what makes him Lord. And we say, well, you know, you're worth it. Okay. (coughs) Grumble, grumble, grumble. (laughs) So, and then he will plunder his house, such as the emancipation of the soul from the demon. Verse 28 Surely I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they may utter. So we have to pause there. Ultimately, again, the only sin God never forgives is the sin of refusing to accept his terms of forgiveness. If you say, look, get out my face with this Jesus stuff, then you're not going to be forgiven. That is blasphemous. God is living and God is loving. And God is forgiving and God is willing to forgive. And he's willing to forgive repeatedly. The same person. How many times should I forgive my brother, said Peter? Seventy times. Jesus said, that's what he said. That's what it amounted to. He said, what, seventy times? He'll run that out real quick. Then what? Then I can damn him. Psalm 86, 15, the psalmist, you can see the psalmist writing this and then reciting this with his hands up in the air, praising the Lord. He says, but you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in mercy in truth. That abundant, when you attach it to us, it means a lot. When you attach it to God, it means infinity. It's an infinitent abundance of mercy and truth. That doesn't mean it's handed out just to anyone at any time for any reason. The Bible takes its time to, it painstakingly takes its time to lay it out for us. How this compassion, this grace, this long suffering, this abundance of mercy and truth, how it is made available to us or not. Verse 29, Jesus still speaking, he says, But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation. I know we read that and we say, have I done this? Have I done this? Because if I've done this, I'm doomed. Well, if you have no judgment to worry about because you're already doomed, you might as well just go out and eat all the okra you want. Just eat as much okra as you can. (laughs) Okay. I mean, there's just some foods that you shouldn't like. And the Bible would tell you, but it has other things to mention. All right, so. Now, you okra lovers, that's for you. No, kidding. Well, a little bit. Back to what we're talking about, to lighten up this a little bit now, to go at it heavy. This is a headshot. Make no mistake when he says, but he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness. That is not a body blow. That is a blow to the head. There's nothing diluted about it. Blasphemy is a serious thing. The wages of blasphemy is death and death eternal with no way out. That's the idea. Blasphemy, what is it? It is a personal attack on God. It is not just an attack on the things of God, the people of God. It is an attack on Him personally, whether intended or not. It's sacrilegious. Paul said, I was a blasphemer, but I didn't know better. And God showed mercy to me. It is irreverence. It is defiance. 
Leviticus 24, and there Moses laying out how the severity of blasphemy. He says, and whoever blasphemes the name of Yahweh shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall certainly stone him, the stranger as well as him who is born in the land. When he blasphemes the name of Yahweh, he shall be put to death. Is there anything in that that is foggy, unclear? It's to the point, is it not? And he is being to the point with them. So there is a, at that moment, meaning to what he is saying. And there is an at this moment meaning to what he is saying. And it's not all captured at this moment. It's captured throughout the scripture. Life is that way. I mean, you don't just live off of oxygen. You need food. You need sermons from this pulpit. They're just things you need. (laughs) For them, they saw firsthand the evidence of Jesus. They heard him preach. They had no charge against him. The credentials for his Messiahship were clear. And they demonized him nonetheless. And for that, he says, you can't be forgiven. If this is how you're going to do it, understand this. This is a blasphemy. Not against me, not against the Father even. It is against the Godhead because it is the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of people. And they weren't moved by it. The sins of men are sometimes from ignorance. This was not ignorance. This was just, we don't care for you, we don't like you. And there's nothing you could do to make us like you. And so he says, you're condemning yourself. You're cornering yourself into a position where no one can find grace for you. It is a dark place to be. This is ultimately what happened with Judas. We'll come to that in a moment. Because the Bible does lay out for us some of those who are damned without grace. With no way out. We'll come to that in a moment. So there was a right at the moment meaning to his words. That was exclusive for that moment. But then there's more that goes beyond that moment. There is the near fulfillment and there is the far fulfillment. There are partial fulfillments. There are whole fulfillments to prophecy, for example. When Peter in the book of Acts said, this is what the prophet Joel spoke about. Your young men shall see visions. And he goes on, your old men shall dream dreams. He was giving a partial fulfillment, not a complete fulfillment, because there's still much to be done. Incidentally, while I'm on the book of Acts and that powerful moment there in Acts chapter 2, when the church was born and the spirit was given, there's something in my devotional time I was reading that stood out to me. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. And on your maidservants and, and on your manservants and on your maidservants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Right before that, he says that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Sons and daughters. Are you here this morning? Are there any sons and daughters here? Are you drinking from the world's hell holes? Or are you a part of the group that the prophets spoke about? Your sons and daughters will prophesy. They will speak God's word, not hell's word. They will not look to the world and say, tell me how to live because I'm too stupid to know. The manservants and the maidservants of the Lord look to the word of God and say, Thus says the Lord, this is how we shall live. Are you child enough to do it or not? It's up to you. Because you play games with God, you'll find out Satan's not playing games. He wants to eat your soul alive, send you to hell and you get nothing for it. It comes down to who you're going to believe. And if you want Satan to give you a hell shot to the head, then you go take it. But if you want to be a child of the Lord, you need to stand in the gap, stop your retreating, and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. What is wrong with that? What can anybody say about the righteousness given to us from the Bible? Or take the Ten Commandments. Do you have a charge against Ten Commandments? Thou shalt not murder. Well, I don't really like that one. 
Okay, boom. <laughs> Is that how it's supposed to go? That kind of logic, by that logic, we can just kill each other? Of course not. Thou shalt not steal. Who would have a charge against that? The Bible is wholesome. It is right. It is what you need. And backing up away from it to get a drink from the world is not worth it. It is a poison that you won't be able to stop if you, if you insist on turning from Christ. Okay, I'm going to come back to that. And I hope I come back to that hard. That time was light. <laughs> and I mean it. I hope I can be more precise. Because there's a real devil. And he wants your soul. And as a pastor, I won't stand for it. I don't think any pastor should. I don't think any pastor should enter the pulpit forgetting that there's a real devil and that there are real consequences to siding with him on anything. Well, John's Gospel, chapter 16, verse 8, Jesus said, now this is, I'm developing this thought about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit and its meanings as taught throughout Scripture, and I can only take certain portions. John 16, 18, when he has come, Jesus speaking about the coming of the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment, of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father, and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. And just think, people, you know who don't want to hear that? They want know what they say. Well, the Bible, you can't trust it. No, I can't trust you. I can trust the Bible. It's you. I don't have to lock up my truck to keep you from breaking into it. Or I'm going to keep the Bible from breaking into it. i got to lock it up to keep people from breaking into it. So don't tell me not to trust the Bible. And as for the other holy books, they're not easy uh, to, to uh, stop people from believing in them, but they are easy to refute. At least I have found them so. I have found them with broken witnesses. Uh, I don't find that with the Bible. From the beginning to the end, it upholds itself. And just looking out the window at science and prophecy and just so many areas of, of reason, common sense, well, um, spiritual sense. Well, let me go finish with this. Jesus just said... <clears throat> He didn't say of sin because they are fornicating, of sin because they are stealing, of sin because they have murdered, but of sin because they do not believe in me. Do you catch that? The emphasis is on faith, not on failing, unless you fail to believe. And what is the only sin that will really take you to hell? The Bible says the sin of rejecting what the Holy Spirit says about Jesus Christ. That's the sin that will take you to hell. There's no forgiveness for that. This, so he says, but here in, I don't know what verse we're in. Verse 29, but it is subject to eternal condemnation. That's the never-ending suffering. So salvation, this is why salvation is the most important thing to the human being. So let's consider these doomed souls and unpardonable sins. Hebrews chapter 2, verse, verses 3 and 4. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard them? How are we going to escape judgment if we neglect this salvation? You can't. That's the answer. He continues in verse 4 of Hebrews 2. God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to His will. And God still does miracles. And he does them primarily in this way. When you come to his word and you feel his presence and you sense his will, that is a miracle. Because you know no one can take that from you. So Cain, Balaam, and Korah, the Bible tells us those, those men were doomed. Jude 7, uh, Jude, where am I? Jude 11. Woe to them. Remember this. Remember the book of Jude? You had the Gnostics going back of the, of, of the preachers of the gospel and telling the congregation, I oh, don't believe that stuff. You've got to believe this stuff, just like we see today. And so the writer of Jude writing this letter says, let me tell you about these guys. They're like Cain. They're like Balaam. They're like Korah. They're doomed. Their fate is sealed. If they want to roll that way, then they're going to have to take the consequence. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, have run greedily in the era of Balaam, for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. You are free to make your choices. You are not free to choose the consequences. Judas Iscariot, we know he is doomed. John 17, Jesus uh, praying to the Father said, Those whom you gave me I have kept, 
And none of them is lost except the son of perdition. And that is Judas. Lost. You won't see Judas in heaven. The unsaved that are going to be embracing Antichrist. Paul writes about these in 2 Thessalonians. He says, The coming of the lawless one, that is Antichrist, is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. They perish because they, they refuse to be saved. So here I am, reading this stuff. I have loved ones who aren't saved. And I am at war with those things that keep them unsaved. I pray for them almost incessantly, it feels like. I am not going to back down. I am not going to give up that fight. Because it's worth it. And, uh, but at the same time, I'm not going to then excuse what the Bible says because I have a loved one that doesn't believe it. What would happen if we all did that? Well, we know what would happen. We'd have an apostate Christianity. Revelation chapter 14. The angel, and the third angel came and he said, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on his forehead or his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Uh, any of you unclear about any of that? I don't think so. I think it's right there. God is saying, I am not fooling around. If you want to worship the devil, you will go with the devil. And we are to preach these things when the Spirit opens the door for us to preach them. It is for me right now. This is where we come to in the Scripture. You know, I asked the Lord, do you want a topical this Sunday? Almost, almost every Sunday. And no, where you are is what I want to say. That's the message I get back. Verse 30, because they said he has an unclean spirit. So he tells us, Jesus is saying that if you charge him with being demonic, how can you be forgiven? Again, minutia meant everything to these men. Facts meant very little. Anybody here, you're so offended by facts, you'll have nothing to do with them. Someone can charge somebody with something and you'll just believe it because the facts don't count to you. That's a dangerous place to be. Blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. That's what Jesus said of them. Now, to summarize by cross-references the severity of this, Luke chapter 13, Jesus speaking, I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will likewise perish. John 8, 24, I said to you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. That's the Pharisees here right now. They did not believe. They didn't want anybody else to believe. And then not stopping there, as I've said repeatedly, they charged him with being demonic, and he says to this, there's no forgiveness, boys, if you keep this up, there's no forgiveness. Today, we have Christians, quote-unquote, they say they're Christians, and they follow groups, the Justify groups, as I mentioned a few times before, that BLEM group, you know, BLM. Uh, do you know what they even stand for? Do you know they hate Christ? Do you know that they hate Christians and want to stop the church completely? You know, if you don't side with them, if you side with Jesus, they're coming after you if they can get to you. Do you know these things? Do you know they hate the family structure? They don't want a mom and a dad, a, a, a man and a woman to be over a family. They want to destroy all that. They're, they're not bashful about this. This is what they're saying. And if they find out maybe you're not caring for it, maybe they'll veil it a little bit to win you. And just a story the other day about one of a Christian uh, coach, someone had put on his his office door, uh, you know, uh, Black Lives Matters. And he took it off and put all life matters to Jesus Christ, and he was persecuted for that. 
Do you recoil at this? Do you say, ugh? Do you fall down and say, I don't like that? I want to side with them, not Christ. Then where's your faith? You don't have it. Your faith is maybe tiny or maybe it's missing. You have a say-so in this. Don't think that you can just do whatever you want in God's creation and get away with it while thumbing your nose at God. And he's not God then. You have choices to make. Don't be Satan's sucker. Let the Lord's light shine on you. Let his love put his arms around you. Enter into his holiness. Take whatever anger you have at the world and at life and whatever else you can't figure out. And make it work for the Lord in love and kindness towards others and truth. Young people can be a very angry at things that they cannot even articulate. They don't even know why they're angry. They're just angry or afraid or something else. What is the antidote then, Pastor? Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That's the antidote. It's just like that. You put on the armor and you remember this. Armor is meant to be hit. You're not, it's not a fashion show. Oh, look at this. Is this shiny? This is in a new double polished bronze. I thought it would go very nice with this green. I mean, it's like camouflage. I know some of you think camouflage is a, is a fashion statement. You're wrong. It is not. And I still don't understand if the deers don't. Uh, someone told me deer are they colorblind. That's why they don't have driver's license, I think. But so I don't get the whole camouflage thing going for deer. But anyway. Okay, you hunters, don't hunt me after. Just, just, just let me have my time, okay? Just show grace. Put on the whole armor because you're going to need it. It's not like, you know, many times today we see, uh, like law enforcement, they wear a, you know, bulletproof vest. Most of them will never need it. Christians who put on armor, I guarantee you're going to need it. You're going to get hit. And this is the way we fight. The sword of the word. Verse 31. Then his brothers and mother came, and standing outside, they sent to him, calling him. Now they arrived. They started out in verse 21. Now they get there. In between that, he had his bout with the Pharisees. Again, Mark verse 21. Mark 3 verse 21. But when his own people heard about this, they went out to lay hold of him. For they said he is out of his mind. They're going to have an intervention. (laughs) That's what this is. It's comical. Because he's not crazy. And there's no grounds to think that he is. If he had said, I forgive your sins and did nothing else, then maybe you've got a point. But he said, I, got, I forgive your sins. And to prove it, I'm going to do what only God can do. And he healed them. And he did it to many people. Now, knowing James, who's in this group, the brother of Christ, knowing his lean towards Judaism, he was probably very uncomfortable with the disdain Jesus had for rabbinical authority. You know, it didn't sit right. You know, you need to be more respectful to those guys. And he was he would probably lay into, well, yeah, for what? Let me tell you what they're doing. So, now to suggest that these were Joseph's children and not Mary's from a previous marriage is not only baseless, it is corruption. It is a corruption of Bible teaching and Bible truth. These were Mary's boys and daughters. And uh, try to cover up and say, well, she is also in the Immaculate Conception after that. And she's just sinful, sinless. And uh, that's nonsense. She was not sinless. She's not sinful either. And she is blessed, blessed among, among the saints. But his own mother is in this group. Mary should have known better. Remember the whole Gabriel thing? Remember Simeon and Anna in the temple? Remember the virgin birth? She should have said, uh, look, I don't know what he's doing, but I'm not going with you. And so she was wrong about his sanity and his ministry at this point. She'll get, she'll get it later. At, uh, not yet. Uh, and again, she, beloved Mary, far from perfect. Uh, no one should make um, a, a suggestions or, you know, the, the Protestants can sometimes ignore Mary because others have abused 
mean worship Mary, but we need to be very careful. She, uh, I'm sure, is, was a sweetheart even in those days. But we have to pause here to say Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All. Except, Hebrews 4.15, the son who it says, yet he was without sin. And the only one that says that in the Bible. And it says here, and standing outside, they sent to him, calling him. And he made no effort to give them access. He, oh, oh, mom and the boys are here? Oh, well, okay, let's uh, close in prayer and um, just fellowship for a while. He ignores them. <laughs> no, actually, he doesn't. He, he even he goes on to do other things. But he makes no effort. He knows they're well-meaning, but they're ridiculous with their intentions. They're wrong. And to charge anyone like this is irrational. This is, this is why the accusation is insane. Okay, take, a, take a, the billionaire and a pilot. You have a, a billionaire, and he has a private jet. Probably has many of them. And he has a, a personal pilot. And he flies all around the world with his family and loved ones uh, with this pilot that he thinks is just this great pilot. And every time he gets off the plane, he tells everybody how crazy that pilot, that guy's insane. He's unstable. You got to woohoo. And then he gets back on the plane and flies all around with him. Who's the insane one? No basis for his charges, no proof, but he can still hurl the eye. So that's what Christ is saying here. These charges against me, the Bible is saying they're unfounded. And don't you do these things. Don't you come and call Christ crazy. Don't you call him blasphemy, uh, demonic, and don't you call do this to other people. Unless you've got strong reason. Uh, verse 32, And a multitude was sitting around him, and they said to him, look, your mother and your brothers are outside. Because they couldn't get close enough to say it himself. And a multitude was sitting around him. And that's who he gave his attention to. The multitude sitting around him, not the ones that were coming to stop his ministry and escort him off. And then what? What would they have done with him? Institution, well, there was no institutions as we think of them, but what is he going to be like? You know, he's, he's the, the village handicapped mentally now. He has an illness. What was that? Where was this going? He doesn't stop his ministry for misguided family matters. John Owen, a Puritan, he says this. It's very interesting. He says, God has work to do in this world, and to desert it because of its difficulties and entanglements is to cast off God's authority. God has work to do, and not to help him is to oppose him. It's quite powerful. He says they were outside seeking him for the wrong reasons, verse 33. But he answered and said, answered them saying, who is my mother and my brothers? Uh, in other words, there is far more to him than being part of a family. Uh, just to, you know biological family. There's more to him. His family is defined by a relationship with his father, and that is what he is saying. And of course, the apostles will develop these, these teachings even further. And so he was closer to those who had come to see them at the moment than his family. But after the resurrection, we see his family also surrounded, uh, surrounding him in prayer. He's ascended, of course, but the, he, they're with the apostles. Verse 34 and he looked around in a circle at those who sat around about him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Could you imagine being in there? And he looks around. You know, if the pastor is here and he looks around, you're saying, don't look at me. Don't look at me. <laughs> but imagine Jesus in the room looking around. What a moment that must have been. But they sat about him, we're told in verse 34, closer than those confused beloved family members. And uh, uh, verse 35, for whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and mother. Notice how he elevates the women. He, he, he puts them in. You know, the Pharisees would never do that. They would, it would just be masculine and that would be it. But Christ, he opens it up. He says natural family ties are overruled by spiritual ties. That's what he is teaching here. So I close with this verse from John's Gospel, chapter 1. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, 
who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. I hope, I hope, if I've said something this morning in the Spirit, and it has rattled you, I hope it rattles you away from the world and into the arms of a Christ that loves you. I hope if you've been wrong about Jesus Christ, that you uh, take steps to make it right. It ain't worth it. There's a real hell and there's a real heaven. And if you've heard it so many times that it doesn't mean much to you anymore, Satan already has his teeth in you. And you need to be prayed for. You need to come up to the pastors and say, would you pray for me? Because I don't want to be on Satan's side. Let's pray. Our Father, it comes down to belief. It is what we believe that raises us up. Belief in Christ Jesus. And if there are any here this morning that are struggling with this, May may it be resolved right here, right now, today. Not next week, not later this evening. May it be resolved now. Yes, Lord, I would would request that you expedite these solutions right from your throne to the hearts of those who are struggling with faith. Satan is notorious for picking off the weak stragglers at the back of the line. And it is only through your intervention that they can be rescued. But that intervention includes our praying for those who are in trouble. That's a prayer for those who are struggling in faith. And now for those who may have never received you, who are dead in their trespasses and sins who may think that they're getting away with sin in this life because judgment has not come yet, but it will come. Or they can be saved from the judgment that would be upon those who violate you. If you would like to receive Christ into your heart and you need to make this prayer in earnest, if you say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I have broken your commandments. I ask you to forgive me. There is no one else who is capable of forgiving me. There is no one else who died for me. There is no one else who loves me like you love. And so I come to you and I ask that you would forgive me of my sin. Receive me as one of your own from this day forward so that you would be not only my Savior, but my Lord. And now, Father, if anyone has made this prayer this morning, may they act upon it. In Jesus' name, amen.